Welcome, beautiful thinkers. So today I'd like to present this interview with a new friend, Natasha Charlton. And she's going to tell us this story about growing up with some pretty unhealthy patterns that she received from her parents and having the courage, well, having the experience of reliving those patterns for many years and eventually realizing that perhaps something can change. Listening to her own inner voice, that little voice that uh, many of us might often ignore, that intuition that tells us that we are powerful, that we can change things, that we can find a different life for ourselves. So she'll tell us that story and, of course, about achieving the freedom that comes with that, following that voice, having the courage, and, yes, following through, making the changes in her own life. So, without further ado, let's get into it. I'm here with Natasha Charlton, and she's going to tell us a story about personal trauma and also overcoming trauma and making a firm decision in one's life to take it in a different direction about personal strength and determination. How are you, Natasha? I'm very well, thank you. It's it's a lovely day, and it's great to be here. <laughs> great, wonderful. So this the story kind of begins when you're two years old what happened when you were two years old well that's my my first memory really I was mm. my father was quite narcissistic and he'd uh, he'd almost bring me up to to he wanted me to be be intelligent so he could show me off so he started um teaching me to learn to read the alphabet and my alphabet things before I was about 18 months so when I was just between 18 months and two years old, I remember my parents um, was asleep, but my parents come upstairs to bed. It must have been like midnight, one o'clock or something. My father came in the room, turned the light on and told me to recite the alphabet <laughs> straight from waking up. So I so I managed to do most of it, but I missed out the letter E. And, okay. and then so he decided to punch me in the face. Wow. Uh, I know it's, it's um, a bit of a shock for a two-year-old. And yeah. so, so, so I'm there. My mum was there as well, and I just remember, you know, crying out to my mum, like, "Help me!" And my mum just just looked me in the eyes and said, "Well, it's your own fault. You should know better." And they, then they just just left me. Wow. And, um, so, what, what was your interpretation of that at the time? Um. Well, to, to prove myself to my parents, to 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 get hmm. their love and respect. Um, which is just a repeating pattern throughout throughout my whole relationship with my parents, almost twenty five years, hmm. and um, yeah, it's lots lots of similar similar incidents where my father would um, not speak to me on my birthdays for a few days, um, so that you know I because he'd with, withhold his love from me and hmm. withhold speaking to me so that I would you know, that I would feel bad so that he would feel better because then he'd be better than me. It's that kind of narcissistic. They don't see you as a human being. They see you as their object, um, mm. almost to reflect how they're feeling. So instead of, instead of if he's feeling bad, uh, so he doesn't deal with it himself, he'll project that onto me and mm. and all the the trauma and hurt that he's feeling onto me um as an in an abusive way you see mm. and so that i'd grown up with that and then my mother had um had come out of a 20 year very violent relationship before she mm. ran off with my dad um and and then um so my mum was this very victim what you call a victim almost you know personality yeah. very docile wouldn't stand up to a bully uh very, very frightened and 
there was so I had the you know the very extreme with my father being very dominant and abusive and my mum being very docile and you know afraid and Mm. it's trying to please both of them as well which was which was quite hard because if I you know my mum wouldn't stick up for me against my dad when my dad was being abusive although I think she knew it was wrong but she was I mean her she said it when it was the 80s but it's like that that's not really an excuse for for allowing a child to be abused though really you know what decade you're in it doesn't matter you still you still wouldn't do it even in Victorian times, not everyone was going around letting their children be abused and things. So yeah, that's right. Does it still hurt? Like, do do you still feel some pain about those experiences? Well, yes and no. I, physically, I do. Um, I hmm. when I hear people coming up the stairs at night, sometimes you know when you're quite relaxed and you just lying there in bed at night and I I can hear my neighbor going up her stairs because our walls are very thin and and it does make me jump my my first thing is oh my gosh my dad's coming and then like for a split second and then I realized you know I'm 40 years old in my house and my dad's been passed away for the last what 15 years um I've stopped but but there's lots of other things like apologizing for everything that's a very it's a very very big trait you'll find with people who um have suffered a lot of trauma. They will apologize. Is, is that why British people are so apologetic? Well <laughs> it, it could well be. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but um but but there is the other side to it where where I've healed, I recently went back to my old house where I grew up and I'd always I'd always felt a lot of hate for it and I didn't like it. But I managed, I walked past that the other day when I was visiting and I didn't feel anything at all. You know, I didn't, didn't feel any anger um, or anything like that, which I th- which was extremely healing, actually, because yes. I felt that I'd, I'd progressed now to a place where I'm not carrying that boulder with me because it's not my boulder to carry. Yes, yes. So now you you're so far past it and you you realize that day that oh i guess i guess this is you know it really is in my past now yeah exactly it's not it doesn't define who i am i'm mm. i'm not natasha abuse survivor i'm mm. natasha whatever i want to be whatever i choose to create in my life yeah that's great okay so what happened like with that that pattern or that that understanding of abuse, how did that carry forward in, into your adult life? Well, it because yeah, it's a, it's a pattern almost. It's like the whole the whole movie of of my childhood. I've not been outside the boundaries of of a healthy relationship or a healthy, you know, setting boundaries or any kind of healthy way of doing things so of course I was going to go straight to someone who resembled the traits of my father that I'd always spent my life trying to get to love me and earn that love that that I was never ever going to get Mm. you know there was there I'm just setting setting myself up for a fall almost you know because because you're never going to get the love that you need from a narcissistic person it's just mm-hmm. it, it, they're incapable of it. So yeah, so my my first proper boyfriend, I suppose, adult relationship. Mm. Um, he, I met him, I met him once, and then then the next thing I know, I got a letter from prison. So he was in prison for for eighteen months, and oh. and I've just I've just got this. I feel I feel. Um, so much compassion for people who are going through so much pain and all I could see in the narcissists and abusive abusive men that have been in my life is is how much trauma they must have been through to, yes. to be like that because we're not born like that. Yes. You know, it's a learned behaviour from somewhere, a learned pattern that they've had. And um, so you, you wanted to heal them or you wanted yes. to help them. Yes. Yeah. And I suppose I suppose – thinking that by healing them I could heal myself. Right. 
but but I'm never going to be able to heal someone else, which is what now I've I've learned uh, from two abusive relationships. You know, it took another one after that, um, mm. for me to for me to actually think: Is this what I want with my life? Is is this how I want to live the rest of my life? Hmm. Yeah. So, what what was he in prison for? Um, robbery, really. They were yeah. just doing not very nice things to people and stuff. Um, they had been led into a life of drugs and crime, and that kind of that kind of abuse of self abuse. Yes, right. Self sabotage, or like you put exactly. yourself at risk for yeah, and so something really bad might happen. Yeah. Okay, so what was that relationship like? Um, wow, it, it was really unhealthy because he's mm. basically he couldn't keep it in his trousers. How would I put uh, it? Yes. Okay. And, but the thing is, I I kind of knew that, but I was willing mm. to overlook it because it meant I didn't have to live with my parents, and it was it was a better mm. option than living with my abusive parents. I just, I, you know, it was quite funny. I'd, we'd go away um, somewhere for the weekend, have a nice weekend, and I'd end up, we'd go out to a club, and I'd end up asking some girls to go and go and chat with him and give him a snog, just so I could go and get some free time to myself around the corner. With him. <laughs> okay, I don't, know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> it's a sort of a, it's not exactly enabling, or it's not, maybe it's not it is. It's not no. a healthy behavior at all, you know, and it's and it's taken me now, what, 10, 15 years for me to turn around and say, well, you know, that that must have been a sign that something wasn't quite right. You know, if you're quite happy to let uh, encourage your partner and go and go and be your partner's wingman so you can get some peace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was he doing that was di disturbing your peace so much? Oh, wow. He's just... He wasn't, I don't think he was, he was not so much disturbing my peace, but it was mm. where there wasn't, when, when you're with someone, but you're not on the same level as them. So uh -huh. you don't have the same kind of interests um, yep. because the relationship was solely about, you know, that, that need for love. I need to replace mm -hmm. my father. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it was always going to be unhealthy because it was always, always built on, on unhealthy you know parts of the relationship that I've only ever known mm. so um so it was yeah it's just just more like I could I I could be on my own to be free to be to be who I was rather than having to fit in with someone else's version of me mm. okay so he he had very strong ideas about who you were and he expected you to comply with those ideas oh yes very much um with like I said um he he cheated on me a lot he would even even my best friend she's um she's brilliant but she she doesn't she's not into men really she prefers women yeah. and uh, but he would still he would still come out the bathroom with his trousers down and and ask her if you know if she liked what she saw she's absolutely <laughs> traumatized uh -huh. so, oh, but um and things and like i'd come home and with my friends and catch him on various websites with the webcam in a place which wasn't looking at the face. Um, <laughs> you know. I, lo I love your subtle British way of saying these things. It's so funny. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's quite alarming. So, uh, and then that, that relationship ended with well, I got, going to I prison. Got yeah. Well, no, that that's how it started. He was in in prison. I'd sit, oh. met him once down the park, and he'd he'd given me half his bottle of beer, and mm. I was hooked. Then someone, you know, someone had offered me something out of kindness, mm. where I'd never really experienced that. I'd always had to work for any kind of um, show of affection or anything like that with my parents. Yeah. So some someone offering me half a bottle of their beer. It's just, I thought I was in love, and yeah. So he sent, yeah, sent a letter saying he was in prison and that. That was he was in prison for about thirteen months, um, wow. 
which which I didn't mind because I used to we in the town where I lived we all used to get there's one bus to the prison so it'd be like half the town would get the bus on a Sunday afternoon to go visit everyone in the prison so it was a bit of a jolly jolly boys outing really but um <laughs> okay it's a, a kind of pleasant memory then yeah yeah I mean that was nice because I think with the things like like I loved his family his mum was is absolutely amazing oh. um so I got all that while he was in prison because there was no kind of relationship going on. It was just almost love bombing where it's like jail mail, isn't it? Write all the poems and the letters. But once they right. come out of prison, it's the behavior then and the real them then changes and shows. But I've never had that time before he went to prison to mm. understand what his character was actually like. Mm-hmm. And, yes. um, and understand the red flags Right. Well, yeah. That's, yes. Yes. Well, you mentioned the the, the love bombing, and that is uh, unfortunately that is a red flag when somebody is over the top amorous with you from the beginning. That is a sign that that something isn't right. Like it is a kind of manipulation. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so, no, I ended up. I ended up, I think I was quite lonely and I'd, I'd made a decision that either I was going to have a baby within mm. the next three months or I was going to go and run off to America and do some, I don't know, some volunteering or something in America. But oh, cool. well, luckily, I say luckily now because it's a blessing. I did get pregnant. Mm. And then after I found out, I was two weeks after I found out I was pregnant, I decided I couldn't live with them anymore. So right. I went back home. <laughs> To my parents, right. pregnant, back into that abusive relationship. And then six mm. months, I was six, seven months pregnant, and mm. my father died very suddenly. Right. Um, so that was traumatic because the doctor said that because because I was pregnant, my body and my mind's first priority was looking after the child. So it would be, they even told me that I would be, you know, postpartum depression and to watch out for it after after my daughter was born which yes. i completely i completely did i you know i started drinking i was really emotional i started self harming um mm. and it was it was a really bad time but luckily i had my mum and my mum's although my mum was a victim she she wasn't abusive at all so she she did help me out a mm. lot but there was there was no chance for me to ever heal from any of the trauma I'd experienced it because I'd never been able to to understand that what I happened wasn't normal and it wasn't right. Hmm. So what what um, do you think in in terms of your mother? Um, obviously, she was trying to support you there in whatever way she could. What what do you think she did right, and what do you think she she could have done in that situation that would have gave, given you a chance to heal? I think that you know maybe she could have supported me with um doing some therapy and stuff but I Mm. I think saying that that if would she have been able to do it I don't think she would because she's she's never been in a position herself to understand that she's she's been a victim so she doesn't understand the difference between a healthy relationship because she's never had one and And that because my mother, um, my mother was 40 when she had me. She'd already had 20 years of marriage and grown up children and things before yeah. she had me quite late in life. And, and right. I helped my mother recently write her life story and hmm. get it published. And I mean, Great. she's, she's been abused since she was very little as well. Hmm. So she's never had that. So that's yeah. all run into these family cycles of patterns where it's come now come to me and I've never had that. And I had to, um, you know, I've had to be the one to stop it and say, I'm not passing this down to my children. It stops with me. How much, ever much pain and trauma, you know, I've got to take on from the things my mother never did or her mother never, never did. And yes. it's got, but it, yes, it stops with me, and it stops now because I'm. That's one present I'm not giving to my child. No child deserves that. And by you know, and by saying that, that helps my inner child heal as well. By saying mm-hmm. you know what happened wasn't right, and I deserve mm-hmm. better. Yes, 
Yes. Well, congratulations on, on breaking that cycle. And what what do you think you, your mother did right in that situation? What what were the supportive things that she did? She she allowed me space hmm. um, to 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 for my feelings, you know, to come out for this trauma to to not because that's what it is, isn't it? When you have these these you know, self-harming and drinking and a, mm. and things like this that aren't healthy patterns. That's yeah. that's the trauma coming out, isn't it? And coming out sideways almost. Um, so she 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 provided me with a with a safe house. She looked after my daughter. I mean, we was all living in the same house, but she would she would be there for my daughter if I if I went out drinking and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So she okay. allowed me to do things, but also them things were almost enabling me almost to have these these unhealthy patterns. Right. Yeah, I, I have uh, people I've talked to in, in the past have, have told me about that. I did this interview with my friend uh, Georgia, and she had a, an eating disorder, and her her parents would try to organize her meals so they were exactly at the right time and exactly the right ingredients. And they were trying; they were so sweet, trying to be supportive and help her out and you know get things going for her. But it ended up enabling her her bad habits and her mental blocks. Yes, that's it. They don't. I mean, people do have have the best, all the best intentions in the world, but unless you yeah. really understand trauma and the patterns and the behaviors yes you know you have to you 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 can end up doing more harm than good through through pure love and having a pure heart yes you know yes so all right so you you moved back in with your parents and then and then you you well your your father died so even though you had this complicated relationship with your father it's still obviously you had this strong connection to him. Well, I did. I I was, I was missing him. I was traumatized because I needed, I never got that love I needed off him that I'd worked so hard for all all my life since I can remember. That's, that's been my goal to, for his Mm. approval. And now he wasn't there, but it was also Mm. almost um, where I suffer a bit from anxiety now. And I can see where that stems from is that, because my father almost made me feel like I couldn't live without him. He was, mm-hmm. he was like almost the God be all and end all. Mm-hmm. And, and so not having him there made me feel very insecure in the world and very scared of the world because mm-hmm. he wasn't there to protect me because he was, he was almost godlike, you know? So mm-hmm. then, um, which made me go out again then. I think my daughter must've been, one before and i and until my next partner come along um mm. who was even more abusive oh. and quite narcissistic and i even remember saying to my mum in the car when that when they met each other that it just reminds me of my father not thinking <laughs> that should be a big red flag <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah what what were the traits like the things you had already noticed that that uh were like your father Wow, there was um, the withholding of love. If I didn't do the right thing or the correct thing, he would tell me, "Oh, he's going to see this other girl this evening." You know, uh-huh. so then I would I would panic and think, "Oh, you know, he's going to leave me. He's going to do this, so I must I must do as I'm told hmm. and behave correctly." There was um, it was always my my behaviour that was in discussion but his behavior was always appropriate even though he was an alcoholic Hmm. you know and not a very nice person um and then it started he didn't like my mother so we moved he took me to the other side of the country um Mm -hmm. and then said oh you can't tell your mother where you live and you can't tell your friends where you live and tell me that there was scary people coming to you know gonna hurt me if I tell tell my parents where I live not because he sent them out because he says oh you know there's all these bad things happening in the world and then repeating that pattern again where he was my only security almost from all these bad things that could happen that he was telling me about 
Right. It's not like it's kind of telling you stories about the boogeyman almost. Yeah, exactly. And for, for me to remain in fear, because when you're in fear, you, you're not processing things cognitively. You're, yes. you're in fight or flight mode. So, you know, yes. you're going to try and and do what you can to keep secure. And that's yeah. doing what I'm told, basically, by him. Yeah. Okay. So, so you did go along with it. You moved with him and you, you stayed there with him for a while? Yes. And got pregnant again mm-hmm. and and him being an an alcoholic he used to make me go and buy his alcohol because he didn't want people to think he was an alcoholic and mm. i'm there eight months pregnant buying liters of vodka yeah. every day at the corner shop and oh, I, would, I would get i would get some looks and comments i'd tell <laughs> yeah i'll bet <laughs> But okay. then but then when we got you know when we got back inside the house again it would be i mean he used to he used to get into moods and I'd have to go and sleep on the floor like nine oh. months pregnant with a blanket um, oh, no. above a fish and chip shop in the summer. Oh. And it was, it was, that was, that was quite a hard, you know, I almost left him then. I almost left him. Yes. And, but I didn't because, because I was pregnant. I didn't, I did and had one failed relationship behind me. I, didn't want to do that and i almost stayed stayed for the children because i Mm. thought it would be better because i never thought that i would be enough i you know i've never been enough Mm. all my life because i've never been able to achieve what the narcissist would you know ideal version of me because that doesn't exist Mm -hmm. now i know that doesn't exist but that's always been been uh pot of gold at the end of the rainbow almost you know my whole life is trying to please someone else yes but because they're obviously better than me or they know better than me yes well yeah it's just such a difficult situation because you're you're there he's trying to keep you in fear and you're just trying to hold on because you're trying to maintain some stability because you care about your children even though you know if now now outside of it it's it seems you know, you probably wouldn't make that decision again. But in the in the moment, oh, that's there's a lot of pressure. It was, yes. And we'd so the next four years almost, we'd spent every eight or nine months we'd have to move because people would find out he was an alcoholic and he didn't like mm-hmm. that. So so as soon as they started gathering on what he was like, he would he'd make us move again to somewhere completely new, somewhere the other side of the country, you know. So I spent most mm. of the four years just trying to find different places for us to live. Um, right. Until so they, they do say that's a, a sign of well, for, for lack of a better word, they say it's a sign of a sociopath because it's like you can make a, a great first impl- impression with this glib charm, and maybe you can take advantage of people for a while, and then eventually they they cotton on to it. And then you find a new group of friends so you can continue the pattern. Exactly, exactly. Yes, very much so. And and to also hide the fact that, that there something wasn't quite right there as well, you know? Yes. Yes. Um and yeah, so it wasn't it wasn't till um two thousand and twelve mm. that I felt felt this really strong question being asked of me internally almost from the universe saying Mm -hmm. you know is this how I want to live the rest of my life do I want Mm. this for the children you know is is I've got to stop this somewhere and so I I decided that was enough and I was leaving which unfortunately I told him and he kind of clicked on um and so he kind of locked me in the house for three days and wouldn't let me out took all my money um you know and he would also if I didn't do what he said he would then go to the children and say oh you know your mother hates you she's leaving she's going to leave you and just stress the children and so and then so I'd feel so terribly guilty that I was splitting the family up and I was this horrible person for even thinking about leaving so selfish that it always always make me stay but this time I said no and I um I managed to try and go to say I'm going to pick the children up from school got the children went to the police station Mm -hmm. um and 
you know, and asked them for help. And it took them two days for me, to, you know, because there was so much oh. to put in the statement. Can I, it took can I go, can I go back a bit? Uh, I'm curious so, to ask about that little voice or that intuition that you heard. What what does yeah. that feel like when you when you hear that? Um, how the best work, and it's almost like God talking to me, really. You know, um, yes. that that higher self, that that inner voice. Does it use words, or it's kind of beyond words, or when, it was when... it was more more of a a feeling, a mm-hmm. feeling of is am I happy? Hmm. You know, am I really, truly happy? Do I think that there is more out there or is hmm. this all there is to life? Hmm. And why do you think, I'm sure you you must have had some, some intuition like that before. Why do you think you listened that time? Or why do you think you took, took it to heart? Because I think, I think I knew that it wasn't right deep down. I hmm. You know that I wasn't happy. I've I've never been happy. I've had, you know, like I said, I've self harmed. I've had eating disorders. I was bulimic from when I was fifteen. Um, I tried to end my life before. You know, when I was still a teenager, I'd had all sorts of things going on. And I mean, I tried to get help. I went to the doctors, but all the doctors did was to prescribe me antidepressants since I can. 14 15 did they help which, which, not really no and that's it's right. terribly young to be prescribing regular yeah. doses of of i think it was prozac at the right. time yeah regular doses of any drug it's, yeah know. as a 14 15 year old you're still a child you're still developing yes, yes. um yes. and and i'd been to therapy as well before but Mostly when, when you're a child at that age, the therapy consists of colouring in and drawing pictures. Really? Okay. Which, that's that's kind of strange. Is this just a, <laughs> a symptom of the uh the NHS or is it I think so, yes. I think you'll find that that is um a very a common occurrence with children's therapy within the NHS. Um mm. that yeah, there's a lot of a lot of colouring in. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. So so it was kind of like at at that point in your life in, in 2012, you you heard that little voice or had that intuition and you you reflected a little bit and and looked back over your life and said, "Well, this is a there is a pattern here. There's some there's something wrong here and something there really has to change." And you made your decision. Yes, and also almost a little bit of hope as well. Ah, okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, like a, a glimmer of light to say, you know, I this is rock bottom. Yeah. I don't want the children here with me at rock bottom. I have to change something so that mm. the children don't don't feel this that this is all there is in life. You know, it's almost almost having the children. Mm made me want to change things and that I knew I could do better because my ex-partner had almost, he almost used to tell me that I I couldn't do things like, oh, you're so lazy, you can't even get out of bed and take the children to school. But yet he wouldn't let me take the children to school. Right. Do you know? So it's very, very controlling and manipulative that way for me to not have any um, self-power, any sovereignty for myself. Yes. And, and I think that was the first time I'd felt that someone had asked me the question where I had to take sovereignty to answer that question and to really think about it myself and not mm. allow someone else to have that power to decide for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, so it was a, a very powerful decision. It's not just like I'm going to take control of my actions it's also like i'm going to take control of my soul yes absolutely absolutely and 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 take responsibility for for my children's souls as well because mm-hmm. i you know i don't want my children to ever feel like i did as a child mm-hmm. and so i had to say no i had to say yes. no this isn't right 
Yes, yes, that's powerful. I, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Obviously, <laughs> a lot of people talk about 2012 as as an important year because of the taking over of the Mayan calendar and certain other uh, calendars or astrological events. Do you ever think about it in in those terms? Like maybe you're absolutely. I have yeah. yes, and and I've spoken to a lot of other people as well, and not even mentioned my story. And mm-hmm. and they say, you know, they felt this call from the universe in 2012 and hmm. and things have happened in their life where their life's completely changed from that yes. point. Yes. Yeah, my, my life as well certainly changed around those times. Uh, so you went into the police station and you, and you made a statement. What happened? Um, well, they told me to come back again the next day and make another statement. So uh, okay. I managed to. I managed to get back without without him finding out or anything what was going on. Um, no. Come back the next day. Um, they, the police had phoned the school to make sure the children were kept there until I could come and get them and not to give them to my ex-partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went, I finished making the statement. The plan was I went to go get the children. Then we went somewhere safe to a cafe in a supermarket where they mm-hmm. went and arrested him took him out of the house so me and the children could go back there mm-hmm. and so that night because I thought that you know that would be it we'd be safe then you know I've, I've given my statement I've told them what's happened they've arrested him um they what said were the charges assault or yeah there was assault there'd been a time where he'd false imprisonment as well he'd where he'd been locking me in uh-huh. and, oh, and right. things like that yes, yes. um and yeah, it was assault because it had been starting to use furniture to hurt me as well, oh, and wow. I'd and and I'd had a, got a massive bruise on my leg, which was quite fortunate because he usually didn't need to physically hurt me. It's only got to where it got to the end stage where it got mm-hmm. so bad that he needed that extra control. I think because he knew that I was yeah. I was thinking about leaving. Something had changed within me, and. Um, so yeah, so they they yeah. then the police phoned me up that night and said, "Oh, we're just oh, going to release." Just a moment. <laughs> well, I think that's really important what you said there about him in, increasing the the threats or increasing the violence towards again, because when a lot of people get to one of these turning points in their lives, it, it seems like things suddenly get a lot worse. And and that's in a some in some sense that's actually a good sign because it, it's a sign that you're actually about to break through and, and come into something new. Well, absolutely, it's it's, it's the apex, isn't it, of everything yes. to the zero, the zero point, and it's they you know they're having to increase the control because yes. they feel like they're losing it because something exactly. the dynamics have changed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go go on, please. Oh, yeah. No, I was saying that the, the trauma didn't end there. Um, yeah. The police phoned me up and said that they were going to rele- give, release him back into the house and just let him go. It was only his Whoa. word against mine. And I've got no evidence. I never went to the doctor. There was no, there wasn't, like I said, there wasn't physical harm because because I'd been so manipulated and yes. controlled as a victim as of all throughout my childhood. There, there was never, never any need for any physical harm from from my adult partners. Mm. Um, they did they could use the psychological manipulation. I mean, there was spitting and name calling and stuff, but mm. I just put that down to alcohol and drinking, mm. and mm. and then kind of them kind of behaviours. But yeah, so I had to. So I had three phone calls with the police that night, and I literally had to beg them to help me and fear that my life was in danger that if mm. they released him back into the house. So we managed, I man they promised me they would, because he was drunk when they picked him up and he was being abusive to the police, mm-hmm. they promised me they'd keep him in overnight and arrange okay. for someone from the refuge to come and, oh no, it was the, the refuge to, to speak to me okay. the next day. It was actually a policewoman that came that I'd never met before. Come and pick me up. We got one suitcase, got the kids in the car, got dressed, just left everything I'd ever owned, anything. Um, and they took us 
took us to another city and it happened mm. to be a Friday afternoon. So they literally took us there, dropped us off to a and b and said, stay here till Monday. Someone will come and pick you up Monday. And that was it. That's all the information I had on. Oh, don't answer your phone to him. They said. <laughs> okay. Then I had I had twenty pounds on me for the whole weekend, and and there was no telly in the room, so you had to pay twenty pounds for a deposit to watch the telly. So we'd have to, I'd, I'd rent the telly out during the day, and then mm-hmm. and then in the evening I'd have to go and take it back to get my twenty pounds back, so we can go and buy some dinner. Yeah, <laughs> and um, then no telly the next day. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So what I did you do? Something. Sorry. Yeah. What, what did you do with the children? Like, did, did you entertain well, them somehow? Yeah, they they thought it was great. They, we were on holiday. We was in a city. We was in a BNB. <laughs> we went. Okay. We went to the park. But it was it was. I remember the park that day, and it was a beautiful sunny day, and the children just played. And I remember sitting there thinking, I've never felt so free in my whole life. I don't. I feel like I can just be me. I feel like wow. It, it was a really amazing feeling that I felt safe and I felt happy and, yeah, free from any kind of control or anyone telling me what to do or how to be or what I should do or what I can't do. You know, it was just a beautiful day, really. What does that feel like in your body? Physically, it's it's a release. It's I felt very light because we've been uh-huh. so tense all the time, and you have to worry what anyone else is thinking and doing because you have to react to their moods. Yeah, and so I didn't have to do that. Like, and my 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 mind was free because I didn't have to think about what someone else was thinking and how I'd have to react to that, or how I'd have to adjust, or how mm-hmm. I'd have to. Um, you know, explain why I've done this, why I'd wore jeans and not a skirt or anything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to uh, think twice about everything or you don't have exactly. to second guess exactly. Yeah. It was very freeing of my mind. I was able to actually have enough time to just sit and relax and enjoy and be and be present in the moment. Hmm. Which, which I don't, I think that was the first time in my life I'd really, really felt like that, you know? Wow. So then what what happened? Um, Monday came around and... Monday came around and the the police turned up like five hours late and Mm -hmm. they were trying to kick us out of the B&B because it was time for changeover and stuff. Sure. And um, they came and they they put us on a train, told us Mm -hmm. which city we were going to and said Mm -hmm. someone would meet us at the other end, just stand by the station and someone to meet you, and they—they were really nice. They'd got a bag of like pop and crisps and chocolate bars for the kids and stuff. Okay. Um. So yeah. So then I ended up waiting at the station with two kids and a, you know a bag of clothes, not knowing anything, waiting for someone to come and find me to tell me you know where I'm going to be sleeping that night or anything. Um. But they did. They come and they were absolutely lovely. And we went. We went to the refuge, and it was it was a really nice house. Oh, and and so, <laughs> I thought I thought it might be like a halfway house or something. Like, <laughs> something no, no, it was okay. it, it was a very old, big Victorian house. I think there was like six bedrooms. There's like three bathrooms, an office downstairs, a kitchen, and a little garden. And it's very secure, wow. and it's got lots of cameras, and it's it's kind of hidden and out of the way. Um, that's that's and, a relief. <laughs> yeah, and the yeah. staff were there, and there's there's a phone to phone anyone on duty if you need anything. But the other women there were um were incredibly nice, and because they'd been there a while, mm. they kind of knew how you know how everything worked and mm-hmm. how overcoming their trauma, and they could see how I was very traumatized when I first got there mm. and things, but. No, the children, the children were amazingly incredible. I was in the refuge for eight months before mm. I managed to get, get a move out and get a place. But the, mm. the one thing that struck me was the children never asked me for anything. I mean, they, they had literally mm. nothing. We, you know, we had to get donations for clothes, toothbrush, you know, shampoo, anything like that. It, it, it was all donated to us. And, um, 
yeah, the children never complained. Once they didn't, they didn't have a telly, or they didn't have any toys, or they didn't have any trainers. You know. Huh. So, I, what I do you think was going through their minds? Um, I think they they were upset, but their children are more resilient than we give them credit for. I think. Yes. I, I think they're almost was a lot stronger than me. Right. Because. Because they had me there. I mean, I put a put a brave face and things like tread I tread water very well. And uh-huh. you wouldn't you wouldn't know. Um <laughs> But did did you say to them like, okay, well think things are gonna be a bit different from now on, you know, which in this transitional stage or something, or or what did you yeah. say to them? Yeah. Yeah, I did. But there was also um because I wasn't in a great place to kind of explain them to. There was a there was yes. an amazing lady there who was a trained children's worker from wow. a charity who worked there full time, and she was she was really good with the children. She would take them out, take them to McDonald's, and you know let them speak and give them a bit of therapy. And hmm. well, not that they needed a bit of counselling, that kind of you yes. know how to see if the children were completely traumatised because obviously they'd worked with a lot of abused children because not only in lots of abusive relationships, it's it's the the parent and the child that get abused, you know. Mm. Mm. So, so yeah, they were they were extremely brilliant, and we got got the children into a school, both of them, and the school was very understanding, and it it was lovely because we were by the seaside, and so we spent the summer paddling in the sea. You know, we didn't have much money, but it's free. These sandcastles are free, aren't they? <laughs> yeah yeah that's good <laughs> i i guess you you decided uh like you were you were never going to back to the way thing things were before uh what no. was your yeah what was like your vision for the future well to I, what i wanted it was just to be a good mother i think really initially yeah. um because I'd always been told I can't do it myself, I can't do this, I'm no good, I'm, I'm not going to be any good. And I always thought the problem was with me. So I think mm. I had to heal myself first enough to be able mm. to, to have enough self-confidence to be able to, to go out into the world on my own with the children and and not be need to go back to the abuse or, or find another abusive partner. That's what I mean. It took took me eight months to to be able to do that enough where I could leave and start building up my own life but I'd um I'd done a few things since then I'd I'd signed up for a college course to study accountancy great and uh, the children had got into school and we'd got a routine and we'd you know got into the local community and there's lots of things for the children Hmm. and the refuge used to have a a dinner night on a Wednesday where all the the local people that used to come kind of had somewhere to, to kind of meet safely and have dinner and stuff, which was nice because the children could meet up. And so, so it just, it began getting better from there where I started healing. I went on certain courses where they had to completely explain to me what abusive behavior was because I, mm. I I'd never known anything different. So I wouldn't have been able to, to recognize it almost you know without having to physically being told that no that is an abusive pattern of behavior and that is not normal and that is not correct hmm. you know I'd, so what, I'd ha- what almost, were the key points that you picked up there it was boundaries i think the key word would be boundaries i had absolutely no boundaries whatsoever yeah. and you know i could probably be talked into doing doing anything if such a controlling person wants me to do something hmm. whereas now now I have a boundary and I think well do I want to do that is that does that align with what I want hmm. um and so yeah that I think that took the longest time to be able to to put into practice having healthy boundaries and saying no and saying that the relationship is not worth having if it doesn't hmm. have them healthy boundaries because then it's not a healthy relationship it's an abusive relationship yes it's like somebody is trying to diminish your sense of self or even erase it exactly for control to control someone else because because usually it's because the abusive person is lacking 
that within themselves and so they project yes. it out to have to control someone else yes yes great okay so then yeah you you moved on with your life and you got you got a you got a job yeah. and set up a life for the kids and yeah, yeah, I graduated. <laughs> I got to throw my hat in the air and have a little gown. And and my mum and my kids saw me. You know, I felt so proud of myself for that because I was actually able to achieve something in my own right as my own person and for someone mm. to feel proud of me for what I'd always tried to get from my father and I could never achieve. I finally managed to achieve that for myself without mm. being codependent on someone else to feel that for me. Yes. So what is that? What What is that, you know, that special spark that you were looking for from your father that you found in yourself? Um, some love, I suppose. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd always thought love was something that you had to have from someone else. Someone has to give mm -hmm. you love for you to feel loved. Yeah. I think in that time where I'd managed to to actually achieve something for myself on my own without being dependent on anyone else. I was able mm. to give myself self-love for the first time, which I think it was hugely important mm -hmm. and, and is important for everyone to feel. And that, and, and you don't get that from an abusive relationship because you're never allowed to love yourself enough to, to have the boundaries, you know, it's mm. depleted and you're always having to, to get that love and to get your needs and wants met from someone else mm. in a very codependent way. Yes. So how do you find that within yourself? I know that's that's not an easy question, but <laughs> could you take a stab at it? I think so. Yeah, you just you just have to you just have to decide. Like I said, it come from from that first time I'd ever thought about it when I had the call mm. from the universe almost. Hmm. And, and I don't think that ever left me. I think that once once I'd said, no, I want something better, then hmm. that, that started a foundation to build upon and build upon, you know, just drip by drip of, of positive things I was able to do for myself to get to a point where I was, was able to recognize that I was enough. Hmm. Well, this is, this is really interesting because it is I – you know, like I said, I, th I think you and probably a lot of people have heard that internal call and then trying to dismiss it or, you know, pave over it or saying, you know, that's too difficult or something. But if we, if we just listen to, to that intuition, then maybe something beautiful can grow out of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it does. And there's no, there's, there's no fear to be had from it if you you know yourself better than anyone and it, it's listening to that inner voice because all the outer voices are saying you're not good enough you can't do this that you're not doing this right you're no good but mm. actually that you know that's not really the truth if you really listen to what what's in your heart mm. you know that's not true yeah. and so that that yeah that that then stays with me. I mean, it literally saved my life and my children's lives because wow. I couldn't, I couldn't have stayed, stayed in that relationship and, and stayed alive. I don't think I, I, something, something would have happened as, as it does, you know, you hear these, how people stay for decades and, and mm. someone en ends up life's being lost really, don't they? Whether, yes. whether the people are alive and, I mean, I almost call it like the walking dead where there's, it's almost like their soul's been depleted so much. There's nothing mm. left of them. They're just a zombie. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you did say to me something important I should ask you about, about re reassuring people that, that there is help. I mean, you, you got help from yeah. the police and these this women's refuge center and, you know, there must be a lot of other resources as well, I imagine. Yes, there was that, you know, there's a lot of resources, everything from, you know, someone donating a, a toothbrush, you know, we had absolutely nothing. Um, donating clothes, people, even just a smile from a stranger, you hmm. know, that, that can, that can make or break something so much because it's just a little bit of reassurance for someone who's having an awful day in an awful time. Mm. And seeing a smile on a stranger 
you know, can can make you make you turn the negative into a positive and make you want to keep on going, even if it is painful and it's hard and you don't believe in yourself. But there mm. is always, there's always light in the darkness, how I would describe mm. it. There's always a light on for someone, whether it, you know, mm. whether it's a, a stranger, the police, the refuge, even even online, you know, just, just looking to see if there is support and help. And there mm. always is. And, yes. and it's and you you know you are worth changing things and you can do it and it and it's i'm not going to lie it's it's not easy mm-hmm. but it is worth it it is worth it for your happiness and peace of mind mm. yes and for yeah for your for your children and absolutely <laughs> for your own absolutely yeah. yeah thank you it's yeah. wonderful all right great is it is there anything else you will, you want to say before we finish up any other words of advice? I just any- just want to say, you know, if if anyone else um, is 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 sitting there now and listening to this and and doubting, you know, how they feel and that they can't do it or they could never escape or maybe they've seen a few red flags but they're trying to ignore it. Just say, just just reach out to someone and talk to someone. Because hmm. there's no harm in talking to someone at all, and and if you're completely wrong, then then you've learned something, haven't you? Either way, but it it's always worth, you know. Don't keep things to yourself because they end up coming out sideways. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's true. All right, thanks so much, Nat- Natasha, for sharing your story and and uh, like re- revealing that you know there's those things that can be difficult to face and sharing your your lessons with us there it's my pleasure honestly if you know if i can tell my story and someone can hear it and know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and things work out and things work out really really well and you get to be happy at the end and there is there is a silver lining there is always a silver lining so thank you thank you for letting me tell my story a beautiful thought Thank you for listening to that interview. So a lot of us, as I I mentioned in the interview, a lot of us, when we do hear that voice, we might try to tune it out. We might even put on the TV, a radio or a podcast so we don't have to hear whatever's going on inside us. And this is part of the reason that we practice meditation so we can hear more subtle things. Because often if we sit down in meditation and attempt to listen to what's going on around us for 10, 20, 30 minutes, it does enable us to listen more clearly to what's going on inside us, entering that receptive mode of thought or that receptive mode of being so we can receive those messages from our unconscious more clearly picking up things that these intuitions might be telling us very important things and uh, they certainly don't deserve to be tuned out. (laughs) Maybe the next time you receive an intuition like that, you won't just let it slide, but you might even write it down and then take action and create a habit out of that intuition. Maybe. <laughs> I dare you. I dare you to do that. Now, thanks to all those people who are going on iTunes. If you use Apple Podcasts, you can go on there and on the app and provide a happy little review for this podcast. If you would give me five stars, that would be very much appreciated. It helps boost the visibility of this podcast so more people can enjoy what you are enjoying receive more insight about other people's lives and apply those insights to their own lives and also thanks to all those people who've joined the telegram chat because it is starting to get quite lively in there it's kind of exciting because people are sharing their opinions about about uh, my 
episodes that I'm putting out there and sharing their own experiences and asking the group for advice or different perspectives. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> it's kind of cool. And uh, I hope the community continues to grow like that to offer spiritual support to each other. Thanks so much for, for uh, checking out that link. You can go to beautifulpodcast.com and up the top, it does have under the social links has that link to the Telegram chat. And most importantly, have a great day. Oh, 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 oh,